Today's 40-minute mentor is the fantastic Tara Lajamoker, Managing Director of FT Strategies, the Financial Times consulting arm. After starting her career at Goldman Sachs, Tara moved into consulting at McKinsey, where she progressed to junior partner before taking the bold and entrepreneurial move in March 2020 to move to FTS. As you'd probably expect, it's been a rollercoaster few months for Tara, walking into a new senior role right at the beginning of a global pandemic and also having to juggle this with having a young family, which is something we explore in today's episode. Outside of work, Tara uses the skills she's learned from consulting to help develop the female leaders of tomorrow, working as a business mentor at the Sherry Blair Foundation for Women Entrepreneurs. All of this is made even more impressive by Tara's personal journey. In today's episode, we dive into Tara's story and explore how she's been able to achieve the things she has, both from a personal and professional perspective, including why Tara left McKinsey for what many would see as a risky move and what it's been like leading FT strategies through a global pandemic. We talk about the importance of education and why it's such a big factor in Tara's life and why it's been a huge focus for the way she's bringing up her own children. And we also discuss the Black Lives Matter movement and what companies and individuals can do to make a tangible difference to the cause. I've had the pleasure of working with Tara for a little while, and I was so excited to get her on this podcast as she is such a positive, down-to-earth role model who I have always admired. Needless to say, I loved hearing more about her career journey and how she's managed to achieve so much in her career to date. So whether you work in consulting or media, or perhaps you're at a crossroads in your career, or maybe you're just in need of some inspiration from a brilliant leader, then this episode is packed full of gems for you to learn from and apply to your life and career. So as ever, please settle into your favourite listening spot, sit back, relax and enjoy the latest 40 Minute Mentor episode with the brilliant Tara Lajamoke. Tara, welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show today. We always like to start this with a 30 second overview of your of your CV, if that's okay. Do you mind kicking us off with that? Yes, sure. I am the Managing Director at FT Strategies. And prior to joining the Financial Times, I was at Goldman Sachs and then McKinsey. And throughout my 12, 13 years or so, I've always operated at the intersection of a passion for technology and digital, customer-centered solutions, and innovation to interesting problems. Wonderful. That was one of the the more succinct (laughs) overviews we've had. Love it. Well, can't wait to explore that further over the course of this conversation. But I do always like to start at the beginning, Tara. I'm I'm fascinated in in the leaders that we talk to in their in their kind of upbringing and what they were like when they were younger. So tell me a little bit about the the young Tara. What was your childhood like? Did you did you have aspirations, particular career aspirations when you were a kid? Yes, yes, I did. I wanted to be a lawyer. Um and I think it was probably speaking to a desire in me to be an advocate for something or someone and that sense of fighting to be better or to help. If you ask my sisters though, they would probably use words like 
I was quite boisterous, pampered <laughs> is my dad's favorite, all absolute nonsense, of course. <laughs> I was born in northern Nigeria and I had quite an interesting, I would say somewhat polarized actually upbringing. My dad actually taught me a lot about perseverance and he was in the military. He was the first in his family, certainly, probably in his entire state even to go abroad for a postgraduate degree. And um, he studied in Russia in the 19, late 60s, early 70s. And this is, you know, a black Nigerian in Russia. And it must have been obviously quite a, a culture shock and challenge on so many levels. But whenever we talked to him about it, he would always say it was all about the goal. And regardless of the challenge, he would always focus on the vision. And I always reflected on some of the things he said around how whenever it felt too difficult, unbearable even, he would always say, you have a choice to either sink in despair or rise to the opportunity. And that's something that I've definitely held close and has served me well, actually, um, through many years. And then my dad and my mom separated when I was about eight or so. And my mom moved to the UK where she had family. And it's funny, I I grew up, you know, my dad, who was quite well off and were very comfortable. And my mom had to start from scratch with nothing, really, in a new country. And I quickly went from being a majority or part of the majority, right, in, in Nigeria to, for the first time, seeing what it was like as a minority yeah. in a new country. A big um, adjustment, I'd imagine. Huge adjustment, yeah. exactly. And, you know, when I was older, you know, also from having everything provided for me to having to provide for myself through college, I I was a waitress, my first ever job. And, you know, just the, the thought of having to sort of balance education and then I was studying for my A-levels with having to work weekends and evenings really taught me a lot about work ethos and perseverance, persistence, drive. And also I think the other big thing for me was recognizing the opportunity that a great education provides you with. I learned so much about class. I learned so much about you know, wealth and growing up in one of the wealthiest areas in Nigeria and then having to grow up in a council estate with my mom. And it really showed me the importance of actually investing in yourself to provide the types of opportunity that you want in life and to create the type of future that you you want for your family. Uh, that's really, really interesting. And I can you can you can tell already just from you know how successful your career has been, how some of those early lessons and 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 I guess the character building nature of your upbringing um, really has had an, an impact and given you that drive and perseverance and focus really. So that's I didn't know that. So that's really interesting um, to learn a bit more about you. I guess that all paid off. The hard work did pay off. Um, you, you did an undergraduate degree at LSE. You joined Goldman Sachs, kind of one of the most revered financial institutions in the world and had a very you know successful early career. And then 
before you joined McKinsey, which I'd love to come on to talk about, you did an MBA and arguably the most prestigious place to do at Harvard. So I'd love just to, to learn a little bit about what made you at that time decide to pursue an MBA and what was it about Harvard that, that appealed to you? One of the reasons was I needed a break, <laughs> which is not the most glamorous response no, in an interview. Certainly not the one that I use at my HBS interview, I have to say. <laughs> but no, but you know, it was a fantastic and very meaningful four and a half years or so at Goldman's. I learned so much about myself and I learned a lot about financial services. And I have to say, one of the key reasons I applied to GS was actually less about the industry and more about the people and the culture. And I always say to people that I mentor at that level, that is a really unique opportunity to invest in yourself and to take risks. Because I think you have obviously more scope to then pivot later on in your career. So I would always, if you had the choice between, you know, a firm that focused on a particular technical profession or whatever it might be that isn't so good on training or culture or other dimensions that focus on developing your character and your professional brand, I would say go for the other option, which might be not so strong on the technical front, but actually is great at looking after its people, cultivating leaders and empowering you with the with the experiences that you need to grow. So after going through, you know, I would say my formative professional years, I really wanted to explore the world outside financial services. I've always known that I wanted to build my own business. And I thought, I know I want to build something, but I'm not quite sure where. So a great way to learn that would be by exposing myself to other industries, other problems, other people, other professions. And I knew consulting was a great platform to do that, but I wasn't still completely sold. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll invest in my skills. You can never stop investing in yourself, I say. And I will try and learn more about the different opportunities, but also at the same time, start to build a platform for those core entrepreneurial skills that I think I'll need. So yeah, so I, I I actually only applied to HBS. Again, one of the reasons was it was at the height of the financial crisis in 2008. It was quite a, an incredibly challenging time, um, you know, lots of redundancies, etc. So I just honestly didn't have the time to apply to even more than one. But before then, I think for me, and, and again, it's another it's another thing that I, when I reflect on, I think was quite helpful, which is choose an environment that will allow you grow and excel. And for me, it was all about leadership, right? I wanted to build my own business. I wanted to understand how to excel as a leader. And after speaking to people and doing my research, I realized that HBS was quite strong on leadership as a function of the people, the people who attend as students, the, the faculty, the curriculum. So, so I chose HBS in particular, not to say that there aren't any other business schools that offer strong, you know, leadership related programs. But for me, HBS was up there with others. So 
I also wanted to get that global perspective as well. So, you know, I actually was really attracted to LBS, but I thought, you know, you studied in London, expand mm. your horizon. Just like so, your dad did. So that's in exactly, their family. <laughs> exactly. They're less of a challenging transition. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm glad I did. And again, it wasn't all perfect. And there are definitely things about my experience that I look back on and thought, oof, wasn't expecting that. But for the most part, I think I learned so much about myself. I built a valuable network of peers, of friends, people who I look to for mentorship today, for advice, for help. And also the way the curriculum, the HBS case methodology in particular, the way that's delivered really helped me develop key skills that I think solidified my leadership foundation. So the ability to form a view, the ability to be bold in articulating your ideas, setting a vision, mobilizing change, bringing people with you on that journey. It's a really interesting approach to helping people grow. And it's something that I took away a lot from. And I know some people react differently to it. It's quite, quite the shock. But I'd say those are some of the big reasons why I selected HBS. And I, I highly recommend people consider business school if it fits within the sort of scope of objectives that they have. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point because on this podcast and from all the many candidates I've spoken to over the years, there's a, a very interesting divide almost when it comes to doing an MBA and the value it gives you. But you can certainly see in your case, it really did help you develop the things that you needed to develop to then kick on in the next stage of your career. And, and obviously, you get the networks, you get the prestige, you get the theory, but actually, it, it sounds like actually there's very tangible things you took from it, which sometimes I, you, you hear that people maybe don't don't maybe make the most of it or they think they're getting something else for the experience? You've hit the nail on the head, really. I think it's people who I find who don't get the most from it are usually ones where they went in with a set of different expectations. So I always say, be very clear and honest about why you are getting an MBA. It's a huge investment, not just financially, but also, you know, professionally, if you think about the opportunity costs away from your career. And yes, it's supposed to propel you when you come back, but still it could go either way, right? It's not guaranteed. And then personally as well, you know, taking yourself away from your current routine and system. So make sure the return is worth it. And really be very tangible to your point about what do I want to get as a result of going on this? So for me, it was I want to get a an offer from a prestigious consulting firm. I want to have a network of friends and contacts who I can rely on professionally, personally. I want to be able to do courses on X, Y, Z and develop ABC skills and speak to people. You know, when you do get the offer, be very frank in your conversations with the admissions group ask them to connect you with other people, find out what it's like to be someone from a particular, you know, if it's a woman or from London, whatever it might be, right, in that type of environment, whatever, wherever the, the business school might be. So be very, very specific about what you are looking to get and then have a very compelling set of reference points that either, you know, validates 
that or actually helps you question whether or not it's it's the right decision. And then, yeah, and then make the most of it as well. I think my tendency certainly for the first year was just going and you have to be the best, you have to get the best results. But actually, one of my objectives was about networking. I needed to not spend 100% of my time in the sort of academia space. That's obviously important, but I needed to make an effort to go to the social events and take on leadership responsibilities with extracurricular clubs and other things. So making the most of it is also very key. It's really good advice um, for anyone that's considering doing an MBA. I think that that some of the things you've said there are really worth considering. Well, it you achieved your goal of, of taking everything that you wanted out of it and then you ended up at McKinsey and spent uh, nine fantastic years there where you progressed up to, to sort of junior partner level. So hugely successful move for you. How did you find that shift into consulting, you know, from, you know, the banking background? When you look back, what were some of the, the most important skills um, that you picked up sort of in your, uh, during your time? It was actually quite similar in more ways than I was expecting, but also fundamentally different in others. So similar in the sense that, and this is obviously a function of the firms that I was working with. So there was, you know, a similar level of passion for excellence and creating solutions, client service orientation. These were all themes that I certainly found at McKinsey as well as Goldman's. It was also quite different. I think particularly with the nature of the work, even though it was all solutions focused, we obviously did that in consulting with clients across different sectors, across different stages, sizes, etc. So having to learn to adapt to change very quickly was something that I certainly (laughs) invested heavily (laughs) in in my first couple of months. I thought I liked change and variety, which is why I went for consulting, but actually it was on a whole new level. (laughs) So what I was used to, right, not just change in terms of the work, but in terms of the people that you work with and where you work, how you work. So it was a great way to really build my flexibility and to become more versatile as well. But the great thing is, you know, obviously, as you become more senior, you start to specialize on particular topics, areas, you tend to have your core set of clients that you work with. But I think that was probably the biggest difference. I think the other difference as well was the approach to career management is also quite a shock. Um, you know, in, in investment banking, you tend to have your, your direct manager and team that you work with, and you have a whole system of how you progress. At McKinsey, it was also, you know, performance-based, but the fact that you were changing people and teams so rapidly meant that you're almost having to start from scratch every time, right? Sort of rebuilding your brand, improving yourself. Again, it gets easier as you build that reputation, right? But then at a more junior level, it's all about delivering on the job, forming relationships very quickly, getting clients to trust you. So again, it was a really intensive experience in getting up the learning curve across those dimensions, but also incredibly valuable set of skills as a result. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we speak to, we know many kind of McKinsey consultants over the years and, and we've got to know each other over the years too. And obviously there are a lot of people we talk to that really aspire to work for one of those top strategy houses. What's your advice to, to those listening to this that really want to make that move? And, and what do you think are the particular skills or experiences that they should focus on building to kind of get to that sort of, um, to move to that sort of organisation? I think it varies across organizations, but I would say some of the consistent themes that I found are leadership. Again, I would say as a starting point, find out as much as you can about that specific organization or what they value. Because, you know, you're, you know, when I interviewed people at McKinsey, I have, you know, a set of criteria that I look at and I assess answers and the evidence provided against that criteria. So really try and understand, of course, it's confidential, but as much as you can, when you go to these, you know, recruiting sessions and go on the website, et cetera, try and distill everything you're hearing, reading to what are the five, six things that they're going to be testing for, looking for, and not to sort of game the system, but to hopefully really understand first and foremost, if it's the right place for you, And then if it is, do you have those qualities and how can you convey those in a way that really resonates? So at McKinsey, for example, and I think, you know, most of the consulting firms in that sort of category of, you know, strategy, I would say leadership, problem solving skills is key, Um, teamwork, and I'd say analytical skills, particularly at the more junior level. And I think the candidates who usually stood out had done a number of things. One is they had a really rich set of experiences that demonstrated their ability to be the ideal McKinsey or whatever consultants, whether it was from professional or academic or personal even. I would say emphasis is on the quality of the example as opposed to the context. I remember speaking to a candidate once who talked about quite a personal matter, so I won't go into detail, but it was something about, you know, a personal loss and how he handled it and approached it and his thought process. And it was just such a powerful story. And I just remember going into the decision-making meeting and being so wowed and literally still emotionally (laughs) reverberating from his story. And, you know, when I shared it with people, everyone in the room as well was like, oh my goodness, I want this person. He is inspiring. He is a go-getter. He just embodies everything we want. And remember that people want to work with people, i.e. you have to showcase you you as a leader, you as the problem solver, as opposed to the making this up right digital analysts or the project manager. So don't be afraid to let the real you come through because that's what people remember. And that's what really, I think, affects people, helps them get to beneath the iceberg, which is where you have advocates for you, right, in these sorts of meetings. And of course, it's all objective. And we have a very structured methodology for making the right decisions based on the evidence provided. But ultimately, you want people 
to be as passionate about you joining as possible. And I think the stories that you share help them get there. Now, how do you get those stories? You get those stories by creating the right opportunities, right? So I would say continue to volunteer to to lead, continue to come up with interesting ways to do things and continue to challenge yourself to be the best that you can really. And I think, you know, whether it's through, if you are in university, you know, volunteering to be the vice president of a club or at work, starting a new network. You know, there was someone who I worked with at McKinsey who he, um, you know, you have your typical diversity network, women network, etc. And he realized that actually there was a bit of a, quite a high concentration of people who went to particular universities at right. McKinsey. <laughs> and he was like, this is a, this is a, he came from Wales. And he was like, this is a, this is a class thing. You know, we need to think about social mobility. So he started a network about social mobility, which most people don't see as a sort of sexy choice for networks. And I thought, you know, that took a lot of leadership and courage and thinking out of the box. And he's also applying to go to HBS. And I said, that would be a fantastic story. So I, I would say, you know, you you're never too old. more people like that, don't you? Yeah. Exactly. No, it's, it's, it's really, really good advice. And I think someone once said to me, the person with the most stories wins. And I think in the interview setting, it's something easily forgotten that, you know, everyone's so focused on demonstrating the skills and the analytical ability and in consulting, yes. you know, doing the case studies. But actually, you know, consulting is a people business, just like headhunting is. You need to see their authentic selves. And exactly. I think telling stories is the best way to show that. Uh, you don't want it, you know, whenever I interview anyone for JBM or for executive search mandates we're running, it's, I really want to see the person. I want to see how they handle pressure and examples of where they've, you know, they've had to make difficult decisions. And I think what you said is, is so true that sort of you can really show you can really show more of yourself and you know I, I think that typically lands very well so brilliant advice it would be remiss of us not to talk about ft strategies where you, yes. you recently joined and a very exciting business and you happen to be a client of ours so I, I know that it's a it's a wonderful place to be at the moment and, and doing incredibly well so for those that don't know about ft strategies can you tell our listeners a little bit about what it is that you do and what gave you the confidence to kind of leave a very good job at McKinsey to, to join as, as the MD to kind of build the business? Yes, I can. FT Strategies is the consulting unit of the Financial Times and it's a startup within quite an established firm, but it's a disruptive consulting business in the sense that we aim to help businesses improve performance by harnessing the power of data and strategic thinking. And what's quite distinctive about FT Strategies is, one, we work in a very operational way. So rather than your classic consultant comes in, gives you 300 pages and tells you what to do, which is not how McKinsey and others do it, by the way, and being very crude. We actually bring in people who are on the front line of that particular problem 24-7. So for example, if you are trying to optimize subscriptions, yes, you have your consultants who bring in the analytical rigor and strategic thinking, etc., but also in partnership with 
the data scientists who builds the propensity to subscribe model for the Financial Times and is at the forefront of the latest thinking, challenges, etc. around that particular subscription optimization question. So it's a really powerful set of experiences, perspectives and insights that we draw our thinking from. And the other quite interesting thing as well is our approach to how we work with clients. We are very pragmatic. We take a test and learn approach to everything we do. So again, it's not just about the recommendations. We actually work with you to run experiments, to test those hypotheses, to test those recommendations and to learn from them. And because we work very closely with clients, we help build their capabilities so that once the consulting engagement is over, you're not left with a whole pack of PowerPoint pages thinking, oh, shoot, how do I do this by myself? They're gone. We actually help develop the necessary capabilities, whether it's people capabilities, confidence, skills, or even the sort of technology and implementation requirements to be able to sustain that impact. So it's a really exciting, disruptive consulting firm. And I'm, I'm really happy to be operating at my sweet spots of the three things that I discussed around building an innovative venture, designing and delivering customer-centered solutions and harnessing the power of technology. Fantastic. Well, we, we wish you continued success as you build Thank that business. You. We're excited to come on that journey with you. It's only been a few months though since you, you landed in the role and Timing wise, probably not the best in terms of uh, in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, so it can't have been easy. How have you as a leader navigated through this period? And what for you are the kind of lessons that you've learned? It hasn't been <laughs> the best time. Absolutely. And not just of myself, but also my team who has been fantastic through all of this. I think starting a new job, which about a third of the team has done and um, without meeting most of the team, all of the team, in some cases, having to do it remotely, it's just been quite an interesting challenge. You think, you, you know, you know how to lead and you know how to build a business. And then someone throws in a pandemic into the mix. They're like, right, this is new. <laughs> they didn't tell you about that at Harvard, I'm sure. <laughs> Honestly, no, they did not. They did not. <laughs> but no, I think the three things for me are listening, learning and leading even when you don't have all the answers. I think I've spent the last couple of months meeting as many people virtually as possible and just listening, listening to their experiences, to their advice, to their frustrations, whatever it might be. And that's, you know, within the FT, that's externally as well. I think I've tried as much as I can to learn. As I said, it's a never-ending journey for me learning formally, you know, attending as many, there's so many free webinars now, JDM, 40 minute <laughs> yeah. mentors, whatever I can get my hands on, I always try and digest. And learning from other people, I think this is a great time to really draw on your mentors, your sponsors, your friends, because it's not just a professional challenge, it's a personal one as well. And I think actually one of the biggest implications of all of this is certainly going to be, you know, economically, physically, but also mentally. You know, if I if I reflect on what my children are going through with homeschooling with some very bad teachers <laughs> and, you know, us 
professionals as well, you know, having to go through all the uncertainty and new way of working. It's, it's definitely going to take a, a mental toll. So, so I say all of this to say, you know, it's learning not just about how to do the job better or how to lead in the middle of a pandemic, but also how to sustain yourself, how to look after yourself, how to stay motivated and focused and find me time. And finally, I think leading, I think there is something quite powerful about recognizing that you don't have the luxury of dwelling, as my father said, in despair, but actually you owe it not just to yourself, but to your family, to your team, to your firm, to do what you can to help. And for me, if anything, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, wouldn't it have been much easier to be at a more junior level and you know, not have all this responsibility of not just thinking about yourself all the time, but also your team members and everything else. But actually, I think it's allowed me focus. I think it's allowed me stay motivated. And all of the advice, all of the coaching that I'm offering others, I always try and offer or at least reflect on myself. So that duty of leadership, you know, isn't something that you should only think about if you are in a formal leadership role. I think it's something that you can do even at the most junior levels, right? And I always say to people, for example, with the diversity and inclusion related discussions we've been having, I've just been so impressed by how many people across all levels of the organization have taken it on themselves to want to help, to want to be there for others who are struggling, so I think that mindset is something which has certainly helped me and hopefully helps others as well. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it will. And and I'd imagine there are lots of leaders listening that will a lot of what you've said there resonates with them. But also uh, for, for, for those that are, are maybe new into leadership positions, that advice is is is, is fantastic. And I it definitely lands with me. Uh, I'm similar situation i think there are times when i've uh, would have preferred to stay in bed um and and, and kind of just try and ignore what's going on <laughs> but you know you, you do have a duty of care and um, to your team and and i think it's often the you know it, it often helps really put into perspective why you do what you do and and why you're in the position you are because you you know you actually typically some people thrive in this situation i think it does bring out the best in a lot of us and, and you alluded to something there that i really wanted to talk about around diversity and inclusion and also social mobility and i think these three things are something that i think are close to to both of our hearts I'd be interested in your approach, given that you're growing the team kind of your approach to this when it comes to to fts but also you know, this is this is highly topical at the moment. Um, I wonder whether you had some advice for any leaders or organisations that that are listening to this about what they can do differently to build more inclusive and diverse teams. It's it's interesting actually because you would think after being involved or leading diversity networks all of my professional life, right from the days of Goldman Sachs to to now that I would have all the answers, but actually I learned quite a few new things, which again, I think just reinforces my point around learning and would be the first piece of advice that I would offer. And I certainly have taken on myself. <laughs> I think, you know, for example, I just assumed when BLM happened that only people of a certain profile would be affected in a particular way. 
And I quickly realized that actually this is something which transcends race, class, and so many, many more dimensions. So I think the first thing is to be very open and to listen and learn. Recurring theme for me today. And just, I spent, I want to say the Monday or so after it felt like it was at a peak point, just listening. People reached out to me who I'd never met with. And I had, as usual, when it rains, I had so many deadlines and things to get through. And I just thought, oh gosh, this is not the right time, but there is never, never a good time for these things. But it was absolutely important to be there and to listen and to hear about what people are going through. And I think sometimes the initial, even me, response or mental hurdle usually stems from the fact that we are all so busy. And also we think we may not have the answers or the solutions. So there is that innate, oof, I don't want to get involved because then people as a leader expect you to solve it, right? And this is, as we know, (laughs) such a complex, multifaceted, issue and opportunity. So I think recognizing, and I think this is humility, it is even vulnerability for those of us who like to think that we are problem solvers and we're going and we figure things out and it's perfect. But recognize that it's a really powerful thing you could do is to listen to people, to learn, to hear, to understand what changes you could make, but also to recognize that We actually all have platforms and assets that we can leverage in different ways. So it's not necessarily about trying to find this all-encompassing panacea. It's taking those little steps, which may seem little in the context of this huge, huge challenge, but actually is quite powerful to one person to a team, to your local community, to your children, to your colleagues. The LinkedIn image, which was on the FT Strategies LinkedIn page, it was a fantastic marketing manager in my team who had only joined, I think that was week two for her. (laughs) And, you know, she's not black. And I remember thinking to myself that Monday, oh, should I bring it up with the team, etc.? But, you know, some people may not be affected. So, but actually I quickly realized that everyone wanted to talk about it. And regardless of, you know, as I said, people's profiles, they all wanted to find out how they could help. So the fact that, you know, we spoke about it, she quickly, without me saying anything at all, took the initiative to want to put out some sort of message that represented how she felt, we felt, I thought was powerful. And we got so many positive messages of support. And we also started a monthly DNI group in our team to talk about these issues and how can we perhaps offer pro bono consulting to related organizations? How can we, you know, starting with yourself is what I always say, how can we ensure that we as a small business are actually reflecting all of those values And we looked at things like our recruiting practices and interview questions and, you know, training, et cetera. So I guess my point is, I think listening, learning and working with others to find ways, no matter how small, to make a difference is quite a powerful thing to do. And beyond that, to think about from an organizational perspective, 
how can you harness the power of people, the brand, the resources you have to amplify the impact of your interventions? So I was really humbled when the CEO of the FT, John, contacted me and said, I'd love to just hear what you're thinking and learn more. And we had an hour-long conversation where he probably spoke for five minutes, bless him. And I just subjected him to like <laughs> nonstop barrage of ideas and emotions. And he listened. He took copious notes and listened and listened and listened. And that for me was just so reassuring and also so comforting. And, you know, since then, obviously, the focus is now on how do we translate that to tangible actions? But I think that That's was fantastic. quite a bold, bold step. Yeah, fantastic. And it's, um, I'm sure lots of people listening will, will, will take a lot from that, be inspired by that. And you, I guess, with the BLM movement, it's seen some uncomfortable at times, but really important discussions been taking place about race and discrimination in society and also the workplace and I think um, you wrote a really powerful LinkedIn post where you said uh, you, you referenced being a black mother to to black children you know and, and my my wife is half black and we have mixed race ch- uh, daughter and I think there's a lot of parents that resonate with the you know wanting their kids to grow up in a different world uh, and, and I think and, and that really struck a chord with me but you also mentioned you were going to challenge yourself, your networks, the organizations you're part of to use their platform to drive sustainable change. So for our listeners that may not have seen that post, what can you or what can they do to make a tangible difference? I think reach out to me um, if you'd like (laughs) to get involved or if you'd like to offer recommendations. What I would hate to do is to reinvent the wheel. So for those who may have not seen the post, the three things I suggested were starting related to the the children's comments, starting an initiative where we offer schools and libraries as well, support around creating a more diverse collection of books and other learning resources. It struck me when my boys were younger that actually a lot of the books that they were exposed to had certain types of profiles, right? And not that many representations of minority groups or even women and you know these are boys but still I want them to recognize that you know we can have female superheroes or archaeologists whatever it was they were reading then so I and a few others actually started in the in our local school started an initiative to just collect between us more books that we felt like were representative and highlighted black leaders stories to really start painting that diverse world that we know we all live in for children at a very crucial age. So I'd love to do that at a national level. So yes, so welcoming any volunteers or ideas or connections. The second thing was around leveraging our platforms. Like I said, whether it's, you know, networks that we are a part of, people that we know in government, private sector, particularly at a policy level. I think we've done a lot of great work in the gender space, still a huge amount of work to do. But I think, you know, with the gender pay gap and lots of other things, you know, around, you know, board level initiatives, I think if we can even get to that level in a year from now for race, I think that would be good progress. So again, welcome suggestions and ideas. And a final thing is how can you in your specific role 
at work or wherever, at school, use that space to do more. Um, so for us in consulting, it's can we help race-related or social justice-related organizations, you know, help them with questions that they might be struggling with. And we have the expertise around, so how do you harness the power of digital, data, strategic thinking, et cetera, to grow, to get more volunteers, to get more contributions, whatever it might be. So again, we'd love to explore that. So any suggestions you have of volunteers, do share. But but I, I think those three things, as specific as they might be, I think, again, are quite transferable. I think reflect on where you are, what you have, who you mm-hmm. know, and see how that could help you with the BLM cause or any other cause that you are passionate about. BLM is obviously such a huge, mm-hmm. huge challenge right now, which... I think a lot of people can help with. Definitely. Well, we wish you all the very best with those initiatives and, and JBM are here to support in any way we can. I think we've, we've kind of, as a business, reflected on, on things that we can do. And I think one is is absolutely encouraging, ensure that we're introducing diverse shortlists to our clients. I think we've you know, we've created a, a partnership with Making the Leap, which is a charity focused on supporting disadvantaged young people from uh, particularly those of um, ethnic minorities kind of increase their opportunities and i think these are the sorts of things that lots of people want to do it's just kind of now i think is this is a very good reason to to go for it and we can all make a big difference so thank you for for sharing your thoughts on that we could talk for hours tara but i'm I'm, (laughs) we're gonna have to wrap it up uh, due to time because i know how busy you are we always finish this with uh, with three questions and, and the first one has to be about mentorship. So just briefly, can you tell us, uh, you know, do you have a particular mentor or mentors and how has that helped you in your career? I do. I have a lot of mentors and I started actually right from university and I continue to this day. One that or two actually that really stand out for me are a professor at the LSE who had such a profound impact on my choice of what to do and where to go and my father actually passed away in my final year at university oh, sorry to hear that. and um, thank you and she was just tremendous in reaching out and in helping me think through and I think that's the thing that I've always found powerful about mentoring it's not about providing the answers it's about empowering people with a process or the ability to be able to make the right decision, get to the right answer. So that stayed with me throughout as a mentor, as a mentee. Another mentor more recently is Dame Vivian Hunt, who is the managing partner at McKinsey. And she's a phenomenal, phenomenal professional leader, role model and friend. And I think the one thing out of many (laughs) that I'll mention with her is, I think the aspiration for mentors should be sponsorship as well. And not sponsorship in the classic sense, but I know people say a mentor will show you how to get to that point. If you're trying to get promoted or trying to get a new job, they'll say you need to do this and do that and you'll get there. And a sponsor holds your hand and walks with you and opens the door for you. Definitely. And I think for me, that's 
a distinction which I haven't really had. She's played both roles immensely well. And of course, she's one of the busiest people in the world, certainly that I know. But I think it's, you know, that it's, we would, she would always start our conversations with, how can I be helpful or end it with, how can I be helpful? So I think you as a mentee as well, which I always have to remind myself to do, is always go into those conversations with, okay, what are the three things that I'm struggling with or the opportunities or whatever it might be? And it's okay to not have a structured agenda, but realize that these people want to help you and usually have a valuable platform or network. So how can you go in there with very specific asks? So saying, oh, can you connect me with this person? Or can you send an email to that person? I'll even draft the email for you, right? Or help me think through how to think about promotion to this and that. So she she was really incredible in not just showing me the way, but in enabling, empowering and creating those opportunities for me. Fantastic. And I think you make a great point about actually the things you can think about as a mentee to maximize, you know, the opportunity you have with, with you know, mentors that are typically time poor, but are, are always there to help. I think that's a fantastic point. Last two questions, and we will we'll keep them quick fire. What are your goals for 2020, the rest of the year and, and beyond, uh, I guess, personally and uh, uh, FT strategies? Survive. <laughs> I think we all feel that way, Tari. Yeah. I just get through. The end alive. See I a could. human person go to a pub. <laughs> yeah. I think to strengthen, strengthen has been the theme for me. Strengthen and scale. Strengthen physically, spiritually, and professionally. I really want to get FT Strategies into a strong position where we can actually scale the fantastic work that we're doing. That's a good one. We wish you all the best with that. And finally, for any listeners that are thinking about making a career move right now, what final piece of advice would you leave them with? Be bold, believe in yourself, despite the pandemic. People like FT Strategies are still hiring. <laughs> Ask for help, take risks, try your best. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tara. It's been an absolute pleasure wishing you all the very best to get through this crazy period. And uh, I'm sure you. I'm sure we'll, we'll catch up again soon, but I know and that will too. be uh, yeah, really well received from all our listeners. So thanks for your time. Thank you so much. It's been such an honor. Thank Cheers, you, James. Tara. Bye. Bye. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.